welcome to the Dublin Bible Talks, Midweek Bible Talks for Workers in Dublin. I'm Cameron Jones. In today's talk, we look at the second of Paul's worked examples of the spirit-filled life that is characterised by the counter-cultural principle of submission. This time, he looks at children and fathers. And please consider joining us live on Wednesdays from your workplace, 1pm Dublin time on Zoom. It's a simple way of identifying as a Christian in your workplace. Simply use the link bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. Well, friends, life is full of relationships, and all relationships have order of one kind or another. Some are the ones who have authority in a relationship, and others are under authority. And Christians, we Christians, we live in the real world. Some of us have authority, some of us are under authority. In fact, most of us, as we think about it, have bits of both in our lives, don't we? In some situations, we have some authority over others, and in other situations, we are under other people's authority. There's an orderliness in some way in most relationships. And so in this real world that we live in, in real relationships in everyday life, the question is, what is it that guides the way that a Christian behaves? Now, Paul has outlined what a Christian is and what he and what it has done for us. That's been the majority of the letter. A Christian is someone who, through no action of their own, is brought into relationship with the Almighty God through the wonderful work of Jesus, who is the great King of the whole universe. King Jesus rescued us by dying for us in the most shameful and cursed way possible. And by his submissive, demeaning action, he has revealed to all the universe to be the greatest in all the universe and over all the universe by his resurrection. Jesus' death wins our way to relationship with God. It means that no Christian is any more Christian than another. So whether you're born Jewish or non-Jewish, whether you're born into wealth or poverty, whether you're from this side of town or the other, whether you're from this community or from another, whether you're from that country or from another, you're equally a member of God's kingdom by his free gift. And as members of that kingdom, we live as Christians according to that eternal kingdom's principles, principles we learn from our king. And we obey them because we revere him. And the word for revere that's often used in the Bible is we fear him. What does this new kingdom life look like for people who are filled with the spirit of the king? Well, it's what we saw in verse 21 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Submit to one another. Or sorry, out of uh, sorry, verse, chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that is very countercultural. Spirit-filled living is not about living some kind of victorious life in this age. It's not Paul's not painting a life of success and power and dominance in this section of writing about what it looks like to live as a Christian in this world. The life of a person filled with the spirit of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all the universe, is characterised by submission and obedience. 
As we saw last week, this model also radically transforms the idea of headship of a husband over his wife as his headship is expressed by his self-sacrificial love. So the wife submits to the loving self-sacrificial service, the, the laying down of his life that the husband offers to her in the same way as Jesus behaved toward the church. This way of living is radically different to the world in which we live, which uses power in, and authority in very different ways to what is being described here. We see the model of our application in three illustrations that Paul gives here. He's giving models so that we can understand how it applies in three different situations so that we can then apply it to any number of different situations in which we find ourselves, whether we're male or female, across cultural differences, in different social standings and professions and jobs, different ages, across different situations in which we find ourselves relating to us to each other. So what Paul is doing here is giving three worked examples from the everyday life of Christians living in Turkey 2,000 years ago. And of course, not every person in that congregation was specifically addressed by only these three examples, although probably the majority were addressed. But in these examples from everyday life, the principle is applied, the principle of submission, so that in those situations... People in those situations, yes, they could receive explicit teaching, but for those who were not in those explicit situations, could see the principle of submission being applied and then learn how it might be applied in other situations that might be more relevant to them. And each of the situations are relational. Just like today, every life in Ephesus involved living in relationships. There were married couples, there were wives and husbands, there are children, there are parents, there are slaves in that congregation, but there were also masters in the congregation. Now, apart from that last one, we can probably relate to most of those situations, but for slaves and masters, we will need to do a little bit more work. We're going to have to do that most of that next week, but just so we don't get too distracted by it now, just bear in mind that in this period of history at which this letter is being written, around about a fifth to a quarter of society were slaves. Slaves ran, ran households. They had any number of duties. Slaves could buy their freedom and sometimes were so well experienced in running businesses, they did very well in society. But they were owned and they were under authority. And some of them in Ephesus had come to be followers of Jesus. And some in the congregation in Ephesus had slaves. And in many ways, the master-slave situation is probably closest nowadays to the employer-employee relationship. And that's what we're going to look at in more detail next week. But last week, we saw that husbands are to love their wives self-sacrificially, like Jesus gave himself up for the church, to treat their wives like they were part of their own body, to care for them. And wives were to submit to their husbands' love and to allow their husbands to serve them in that way. Now, that's incredibly important, we found out, because marriage is God's illustration of how he loves his people. Listen to the podcast of last week if you want some more detail. Ephesians 
chapter 6 verses 1 to 9 now moves on from husbands and wives to, to these two more worked examples. And they are structured in a similar way. Look at chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. It says, children under authority of parents. Verse 4, fathers who have authority over children. Verses 5 to 8, slaves who are under the authority of their masters. And verse 9, masters who have authority over the slaves. In each one of those worked examples that we're going to look at this week and next week, we find the principle of submission in reverence or out of fear of Christ. And this can be applied whether the person is someone under authority or whether someone has authority. And so it is going to be applicable to us in any number of situations in which we find ourselves as someone with authority or as we find ourselves under authority. So we're not learning just from the teaching itself, but also the principles that we encounter here. Verses 1 to 3, children under authority obeying parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The first thing we should notice here is that Paul addresses children directly. Did you notice that? The children are counted by Paul as worthy of being addressed directly, equally experienced in the congregation to hear receive and apply Christian teaching to their lives. Children are treated by Paul as people who should hear the message about Jesus, as people who need to hear the message about Jesus themselves, not just teaching their parents, but teaching them. They need to be instructed also how to obey. But what is the instruction to Children? Well, it is just that. It is instruction to obedience. They are to obey their parents, but did you notice the little phrase after that? They are to obey their parents in the Lord. This phrase is a parallel to one used in 5 verse 22, as to the Lord, and in chapter 6 verse 5, as to Christ. The obedience of of children is an integral part of their acceptance of Jesus' lordship over them. This is a part of what it means to be a Christian. For a Christian child, it means obedience to parents. And this is an important principle that Paul reveals here about this life of submission across any number of situations. But the obedience of, ch- of the child, written here, is not based upon the quality of the parent. The obedience of the child here is based upon the lordship of Jesus. And seeing that obedience to parents is a definition of what it means to be a Christian child. As an aside, I'm sure it's right about now that all of us could be thinking about any number of situations in which we would not like a child to be obedient of their parents. I mean, what if the parent told them to do this or that, which are clearly wrong? Well, we're not talking about exceptions here. What we're talking about is a general principle. And the general principle for a child who takes Jesus as Lord is to be obedient to their parents. Paul very simply describes this as right. 
And this isn't a new idea. This is, it's one that God expressed clearly throughout history. And Paul quotes the commandment given to Israel as a part of the Ten Commandments. The Ten, Ten Commandments are like a cover sheet for all of the commandments we find in the Old Testament. Commandment 2 says, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. That's what Paul writes. You see that there? That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. In the Old Testament, God valued this relationship between children and their parents so much that he attached a promise to it as a part of that Old Testament relationship. That's how much God values the child-parent relationship. And before we go any further, notice that this command does not have an age limit on it. Honour of father and mother does not stop at 13 or 18 or 21 or leaving home or even at marriage. Now, how we honour them might change through time, but that we honour them doesn't. If I had time, I could tell you of what Alex taught me about what it means to honour a father and a mother even when they are hostile to belief. Our honour of our father and mother, our parents as, as Christians, is not about how good they are as parents, but the fact that they are our parents. And that, with Jesus as our Lord, we, we are to honour them. What has this taught us about relationships and the spirit-filled person's response to someone who's in authority over them? Well, what we learn is that they are that those relationships are, are relationships that God values. We learn that obedience is required in some relationships. And we learn that the obedience is not based on the quality of the person in authority, but on the very structure, the very existence of the relationship. And when we find ourselves in a relationship like that, we are obedient because we are one of Christ's people. Well, what about the situation of a person in authority in a relationship like that? The child is under authority. What about what are the people who is in authority? Well, the example we get here is the example of a father. And verse 4 tells us that fathers with authority are to teach the gospel. Verse 4 Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Did you note that while children are called to obey their parents, mother and father, that the instruction here is given not to parents, but to fathers? It's interesting, isn't it? I don't want to make too much of that, but I do take it that this is because, as we saw in the husband-wife relationship, the leadership authority role lies primarily with the husband with the, in the Christian marriage. So fathers have a special responsibility for their children as they are the head of the family. But notice the instruction. There is instruction what they should not do as fathers, and instruction is what they should do instead. First, instruction. Fathers are not to exasperate their children. Do not exasperate your children, writes Paul. What does exasperate mean? What would, you, what would it mean if your child described you as exasperating? Now, I think that the word is 
one that we're more likely to use of a child than we are to use of a parent. That the child is exasperating. But here we find it about a father. Fathers, don't act in a way that will provoke your children to anger with you. Fathers, you have a particular position of authority in your family, but don't use your authority, don't use your headship in a way that angers your family and particularly your children. We know, don't we, that children have a finely tuned sense of justice. If one child is treated differently to another, they notice it. Alex and I don't have children, but I remember being one. I remember being a child in the back of the car and being the one in the back of the car is the one that notices the, st the speed limit has been exceeded and they say so. <laughs> Fathers, children also notice how you treat your wives. If you are unthinking and uncaring toward your wife, your children will notice that. It will exasperate them. I know many people who resent their fathers because of how their fathers treated their mothers. God has not given fathers authority in order to run a household for their own benefit. No, he has given husbands a headship in the family in order to express love for his wife as Christ loved the church. And he has given fathers authority over children in order to do what? What is the opposite of the exasperating father. Now, I would have expected the instruction to be about personal purity or humility or about fairness. But while purity and humility and fairness are important for Christian men, Paul teaches us that the opposite of the exasperating father is what? Verse 4, one who brings their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is how the godly father is to express submission in reverence for Christ when dealing with his children. The father's job in the family, over the children, is to teach them faithfully about Jesus. And notice that little phrase, of the Lord. This teaching is not helping them with their schoolwork. No, this is training and instruction of the Lord. What Paul has been teaching in the previous section of this letter about God's plan fulfilled in Jesus. That is how a father devoted to the principle of submission treats his children, by teaching them the most important thing they will ever learn in life, the message about Jesus the King. Now, I'm not sure that... Uh, that many Christians in the West have really devoted themselves to this pattern of behaviour. I'm not sure that very many fathers have really done a great job here in the Western world f from a Christianized culture. As I observe things, I suspect that fathers have often abdicated this responsibility. <laughs> They've made it the job of the wife, the mother. They've made it the work of the Sunday school at church. They've even made it the work of the state in religious instruction. At that last one, I just don't get it all. I went to a private school. Um, it had a chaplain. I'm convinced this chaplain was a believer. We had classes that were called divinity. It had a good curriculum. 
But one of my friends was taught by one of the teachers. He taught the curriculum, but he also told them, oh, look, I don't believe any of this. I just get paid more to teach this class. But even if the state did a good job, even if the church does a great job in their Sunday school, it is the father's responsibility in the, fa in the family to teach children about Jesus who is the Lord. And even if your church has a great, great children's plan, program with great teachers who are devoted to teaching the children about Jesus. We do have to do this, and it's great to have a children's program, particularly so the, the parent, so that the parents and the fathers in particular can sit under the sermon without any interruption and learn themselves so they're, they're prepared for that work. But fathers are not, by the Sunday school or by the religious instruction or by, by anything else, relieved of their responsibility in the family not just to bring your children along to church, but to personally teach your children from God's word. So if you are a father, what are your ambitions as a father? Is it to be thought well of by your children? Is it to be the faithful financial provider? Well, if you are to aspire to be a spirit-filled, God-pleasing father, you will take his priority into your fatherhood. You will teach and instruct your children in the Lord. Teach them not to look to you, but to Christ, making him the centre of their lives, not you. And friends, if your children are grown, it's not too late. I remember speaking with a father about their grown child who is not a believer, and he longs for his child to come to Christ, and he's trying to speak with his child about Jesus. You don't grow out of this obligation as a father toward your children. Now, how you do it might change as your children grow up, but your attitudes, your words, your authority as father should remain centred around your gospel-based training and instruction for as long as you are a father. Is this something maybe you need to bring to God if you are a father? You may at this point have failed your wife in taking leadership here. You may, you may be preparing to be a father. We have someone on this call who's preparing to be a father right now. What good instruction to receive. There are those of us here who are not fathers. Um, there are some, some of us here who cannot be fathers <laughs> because you're female. But what have you learned about the authority of the relationship between a father and a child that is different to how the world thinks about it. It's different because the way we think about Jesus in authority over us is different because the way that his relationship over all things is expressed by service. Do you see how that's being expressed in this relationship between father and child? Do you see how that's being expressed between the child and their parents? Do you see how this is a worked example of what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Do you see how those principles can be taken into other relationships, into other situations in which you are living out your real life in the real world as a spirit-filled follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for listening to the recording of the Dublin Bible Talks. You can join us in real time on Wednesdays at 1pm Dublin time on Zoom, bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks.